This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek. I'm here with Steve Cockrum. Steve's in the house here in Oklahoma City this week. You're not in London. It's good to have you. I am. I'm in God's own country, as you prefer to call it. Oklahoma City. And it's 80 degrees outside, so nothing like London today. Absolutely. Good to have you. As uh, Well, always good to be together. When, we, when we're together... Uh, we get a lot done. We've been doing strategic planning. We've got new giants that have been activated or being activated as we speak in retreats. And so, so much going on. But we did have fun. What, talk about some things that we've done so far, Steve, because the, the, our audience is just waiting. <laughs> We're just waiting to find out what, what we did. Well, we, we did watch the Masters and Rory implode, which was a bit of a disappointment. But it's nice. probably my highlight of the weekend was the, <laughs> um, the visit to America do burgers in a way that no other country in the world does. And you took us to Tucker's Burger, um, and I had the Double Mother Tucker Burger. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> did you just go there? No, I said the Double Mother Tucker Burger with extra onions. <laughs> you found that quite funny, didn't you? <laughs> well, it was fun ordering every Clever. single time. <laughs> She looked at me, this lady, as if that's not the first time anyone said that to me, young lady, man. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was an onion burger uh, yeah. on steroids, yeah. and, uh, and we could taste it for a long yeah. time. Three and a half thousand calories in one <laughs> bun. <laughs> we also had the privilege of going to the Oklahoma City Thunder game. Yeah. Russell Westbrook Absolutely. broke another record. The second, uh, first yeah. player in history to have a two years of triple-double average. Wow. For those who don't care about that, <laughs> don't worry about it. For those who do, it's really, really cool. I, honestly, I love that we had a prayer at the beginning. Then we had a sung national anthem. All we needed was the F-16s to go through the building, and it would have been a complete... I love it. I'm, I have my hand on my heart. I'm like... Were you, did you cite the Pledge oh, of Allegiance? Like, always. You did the always. Pledge of Allegiance, yeah. too? Indivisible. No. That's the one that always gets me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it when the Brits can have to, are forced to do a national anthem. It's great. It's good. So no, it's just so fun. We have we have a lot of fun together at, at Giant and what we do. And Can I tell um, them about your joke. Yeah, Jeremy, go for it. Most of you know Jeremy's not usually that funny what in the world. <laughs> but going. we did a we did a kind of a, a breakfast a couple of days ago where you know, different companies come in and people get Jeremy always does great intros, a classic connector. And he go around, just tell us a bit about yourself, what company you work for. And there was a gentleman who come who said, um, my name's so and so, I'm from Google. And quick as a flash, Jeremy goes who? What company? And he went, Google. <laughs> and the whole room just dissolved. So yeah, we blew that client. So well done. <laughs> yeah, we hadn't heard, we haven't ever heard of Google. What's Google? So um, today, yeah. today we get to focus on um, some really good things. We've got emails that people have sent us in and uh, questions that people have asked. And we're going to answer a question that we think might be really appropriate to the masses of you listening. So hopefully you'll find this very, very helpful. The question of the day is, what do you do to change a culture that maybe is healthier at the top or at least open, but how do you, how do you get culture change at the lower levels through the mass bulk of the employees? That's the question. So how do you change culture to the masses? Sure. So let's start with uh, let's start with that dialogue. I'll let you start first, and then we'll I'll pile on as always. Well, I think the first thing that we would always say is that leaders define culture. So the trouble is, it, the number of times senior teams will go, well, you know, we need to change our culture, um, and HR aren't doing the job, and we'll go. There's a reason you can't outsource culture. 
If you're the leader or if you're part of the leadership team of any size organization, if you are not living the vision, values, mission, if you're not actually being liberators to each other, then the reality is the company as a whole organization will never be healthier than its number one team. So this feels like a little bit of a challenge to get you started at what was a soft conversation. But if you're the leader of an organization or you run any form of business, the reality is if you are looking at an unhealthy culture, you're doing one of two things. You're either looking at a mirror image of your own tendencies of strengths and weaknesses, or you're looking at the the strengths and weaknesses of the person that you've delegated culture to. You can't outsource it, you have to live it, you have to be it, and in the end, if you're not prepared to do that, then basically very little else will change with lasting value inside the culture. That sounds a bit harsh to start. Uh, no, absolutely, because what happens is if you're, if you're forcing people in, you might get compliance, right? But mm. the true engagement only happens when they see engagement with you. So if you're passionate about something, whatever you're passionate about, other people will be passionate about. If you're in a job where it's just a job and then you're, oh, yeah, we got to do values. Oh, yeah, we got to do vision. Uh, and you put it out there. Everyone knows you don't really, really care. Yeah. So caring is stage one. I mean, really caring and really believing because that's where passion comes from. And passion is going to look different with different personalities. Mm. But passion is the key to making sure that people really know, do you really care about this? Is this really important? Or why am I working so hard for these things that you don't really care about? Yeah. I mean, one good question you always ask is, uh, what is the vision of your organization? Because if you don't know what the vision of your organization, if your people don't know, then you're always going to be struggling. And if you ask, what are the values of the organization and nobody knows or they go hang on I've got a little card in my drawer where some expensive consultant came up with the eight key values of our business the reality is your culture is accidental unless you are able to live eat breathe your vision mission values and the vocabulary is really important well we just received a compliment uh, we have uh, giants and we train these giants to become senior consultants and we had uh, 15 or so here in this batch of new giants that were getting activated. And after 36 hours, basically, we had people go, you know, we asked them a simple question. Okay, so far, what's really, what have you noticed so far? And they were saying, you guys are what we thought you are. Hmm. You're practicing what you're preaching because you believe it. And the truth is, we actually believe in liberation as a lifestyle. Yeah. We believe that liberation is the best way to live, best way to lead. So to be a liberator means something to us. So therefore, we built everything on the concept so it's this word congruent. So that congruency, authenticity happens, right? So share a little bit about then how do you, if let's say someone is congruent and they're passionate and they believe, because we've grilled them already on if they weren't. Yeah. But let's say they are, then how do they then take it throughout their, their organization? So, um, you know, it, it depends on the size of your organization. The bigger it is, the more complex it is. But the biggest problem most leaders face is to go, hey, my team's actually healthy. I've worked really hard at getting my team healthy. But why aren't the other teams in the organization? Why aren't the other leaders doing it? And I think the thing we, we did in the very beginning was to ask, how do you build healthy culture? And um, everyone kind of has read the book, you know, Culture Trump Strategy for Breakfast. And if you ask people, they know the right answer. But virtually nobody could tell us how they intentionally went about building culture. So if you did a bit of research like we did and you ask the anthropologists and the sociologists and they'll tell you that culture is created through language, 
And language is made up of vocabulary words that come to mean the same thing at the same time in the same place with the same people. And so therefore, if you have a group of people who are using a common vocabulary that creates a common language, over time you create a common culture. But there's some strange stories, aren't there, where um, just because we use the same vocabulary doesn't necessarily mean we mean the same thing. So one of the great classics of uh, the joy of American Britain banter is we both mean different things by the word pants. In the sense that we would mean underwear, you would mean trousers. So it's not just because we use the same words. You'll find that a lot of leaders in a large organization may use the same words, the same vocabulary as it were, but it's not creating a common culture because in the end they haven't defined what do we mean by the vocabulary or words that become the leadership language that define our culture. Side note, just for the British American banner piece, yeah. the trousers kind of sound like an old man. Would wear them, I mean, old man pants. So all right then, old man pants. Yeah, old man underwear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, there you go. So it's. Well, so. It reminds me of the story where a friend of mine was coming through, uh, and those lovely TSA sort of welcoming guests to your country um, took him aside and said, "Sir, please remove your pants." And he's like, "What?" And literally went three times, and they said, "Look." And he was nearly in tears, and then eventually he dropped his whole trousers and the whole thing, and they jumped on him, cuffed him, he's in tears. Turns out that the vocabulary was the thing that they got wrong. Best example I've got of that one. Now, my only thing, I've heard this story, and I think it's funny, but I'm side note, I'm like, why did the TSA guy say remove his pants? That's kind of weird. Yeah. And then when they jumped on top of him, that's weird too. But other than that. <laughs> well, never let the truth get in the way of a great story or analogy, Jeremy. So <laughs> no, just it's, move on. It's totally true. So the, to go, you know, some people use objective and subjective language. Yeah. But here's another thing that I found that why it's so difficult to transfer. So having a vocabulary is one thing people most people don't have a vocabulary yeah. so obviously that's what we do we we create a leadership language that fuels liberators to change their world so we set a language that they can use so that's one thing the other thing though i found is that most leaders are stuck in task management so if you think about if you're a team leader you've got to not only lead yourself in your own task but you also have to lead the task of your team mm -hmm. So you have a lot of people who might be individual taskmasters. They're really good at their own tasks, but they don't know how to lead other people. They don't know how to lead a team of people. And then they have a smaller majority who are really good at teams, but they can't get their work done. So that combination, you put those two. So you take the realities that people don't have a language, don't know how to, to actually multiply it. Then they don't you know, maybe know how to manage their own task and their team's tasks. So it's, it is highly complicated. And I think the, the other thing we found is that we've moved from a word-based culture um, to a visual culture. And so therefore, a lot of the traditional ways of, you know, here's a good book, we're all reading The Advantage, we're all reading whatever it might be. Words in and of themselves only go so far because the culture we live in today as a wider global culture is increasingly visual. And people don't have the time to read or they, you know, we're in an instant world. So I think the other thing we've added into that piece of how to use a leader multiply health through the culture was this kind of innovation of using visual tools that really used as few words as possible on the, the tools. But those visual portable, you know, like you say, almost like each one's a book, that's proved an incredibly effective way of multiplication. So let's, let's give a real practical example for those of you who have, um, 
who know this, or maybe you can go back into the Liberator podcast, uh, you know, archive. archive and find when there wasn't five million listeners. That's mean. right. That's right. Uh, when you find the five gears yeah. and go, five gears is a great example of what it means when we say change your leadership culture. Well, most of us, by the way, thought of teams when we said it because we've been talking about teams. Take your family, for instance. If you drop the leadership language of the five gears into your family and you teach a sign language to all of your kids, so fifth gear being focus mode, fourth is task, third social, second gear is um, connect mode, first gear is recharge, all of a sudden we set a leadership language that is objective. We train the kids on it. We train the spouse on it. And then we look at our calendar to go, what time periods should we be in what gear? Okay, six to eight o'clock, we're going to be in third gear. All right, we're all in agreement with that. So 6 to 8 p.m., third gear time, all of a sudden, spouse walks in. It starts doing email. Fourth gear email. I can't believe anyone would ever do that. I can't believe. So fourth gear email inside the home at 7 o'clock. What has to happen? Usually, the spouse would get nagged. Hey, again, why can't you dot, 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 dot? Instead, hold up three fingers. Hey, three fingers. They, uh, you're totally right. My bad. My bad. I was just, they then adjusted. It actually transforms the leadership culture because we've given an objective language in the form of a tool that was really shaped by the vocabulary. You get the vocabulary, you put the tool with it, you then teach it to everyone in the, in the, in the family unit. Well, you do the same thing to a team. Same process. And I think when you, you realize that in the, the modern world, people are often leading teams that sometimes are on different sides of the planet. And they're also dealing with the fact they may not have actually met for that long. One of the things we've found with this whole process is where you have that objective language that's visual, teams come together from different parts of an organization, maybe different sites, different divisions, whatever it might be, and immediately they're able to connect because the company or the organization is using the same vocabulary and language to mean the same thing. And they all can see the visuals. So, you know, the, the whole thrust of what we're doing is how do we raise up liberators? Well, everyone can see a matrix called high support, high challenge. And they may not remember, you know, the culture empowerment opportunity, but they remember the colors, they remember the key words, and they remember the principles. Because in the new world, communication is having to be increasingly visual, rapidly interactive, so I get a chance to play with it. And if it isn't instantly applicable to my world, it just disappears yep. in the business of what we do. So I lived in Russia, as you know, Steve, but I lived in Russia in 1993, 95. I was there for a couple of years, and I was uh, immersed in the Russian people. We lived in a flat above Russians. We had So I learned the language very quickly. We had a teacher, in fact, who didn't speak any English. So you even learn quicker uh, <laughs> yeah. to, you know, because Nina was not very nice. <laughs> Everyone was afraid of her. And so, uh, but that said, we learned the vocabulary very quickly. Mm. She'd have to point at a window. I got to learn that or I'm going to get, you know, whatever. So um, that vocabulary and learning a new language. So for those of you who've learned Spanish or you've learned, you know, French or whatever, you know, you know what it takes. Well, it's really hard, though, because it's usually just, you know, it's, it's written lecture form. And, and so Rosetta Stone came along, and it changed the way that, that learning a new language would happen. And there's a lots of other programs like that. Well, in the same way, we've created that leadership language. 
But we use visual tools, like we mentioned with the five gears, the sport challenge matrix. So they're simple, they're sticky, they're pictures. Mm -hmm. And the pictorial visual tool, well, you can actually learn a leadership language. And that's what we're getting at. What would it look like if your entire team or organization all had the same language so there was not any subjectivity? And it's not someone, you know, pimping out this book Mm -hmm. that no one's going to read because it's too too meaty or too, you know, whatever, or I don't like the guy who's giving me the book. Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, everyone's learning the same language from the CEO down to the very front to the, to the mailroom. Mm-hmm. Well, if you know the language, then you'll adapt and apply the language into your actual realities, and it's called applied leadership learning, and that's what we do best. We actually give a language that people can actually use inside their world. So this is the type of thing that has to happen to change culture. You have to put these things in place, like learning a new, a new language. And I think the other thing that we, we learned along the way was that, that it had to be so simple that even an educated 13-year-old could understand it, use it, and teach their friends. The reason being is if people couldn't take it and multiply it relatively quickly or teach it to other people, we often say all of these tools can be taught on a table napkin because the reality is without that, it doesn't scale. So ironically... Those of you who are proper leadership geeks or studiers of all these things, and we love this stuff, but what you'll find is it stays with you because it's not possible for you to actually teach it in a way that people who haven't done the MBA or haven't done whatever it is the course you went on understand. So it actually takes a fair degree of humility. I mean, for you, it was relatively easy because you're quite simplistic anyway. Absolutely, (laughs) yes. But to take the complex (laughs) and make it simple without making it simplistic. And I think that's more of a skill than people realize, but whatever you've got in your world, whatever vocabulary that you really want everyone to use, it doesn't have to be ours, actually to think through, how do I make this simple? How do I make it visual? How do I create some objective language? Because, and how do I start using it? Because if you don't use the vocabulary language in your everyday interactions as a team, it becomes redundant almost the same way most training interventions do over a period of time if you don't use it and apply it and it becomes part of the way you engage with each other. Speaking of redundant, I like the way that you said, no, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) What's that pink slip on the table? Is that for me? Um, The the, um, culture over strategy, though, is is, this is what we mean. If you've heard that phrase like Steve mentioned earlier, culture eats strategy for breakfast, what it's meaning is that you can have a strategic plan, you can have the financial capitalization, you can have your teams really, really um, focused on paper or they at least know what the plan is, but if there's not a leadership language that actually has created a culture, mm. then your strategy is going to fail because under stress mm. or pressure, you're going to see what's really existing, what's really there. So culture is really what we're after. We're after how do you build such a healthy culture that the culture with the strategy mm. produces an unbelievable team or organization. And most people don't put the effort in because they, they think, well, I can just hire people. Mm. I'll just hire people. They're but, talented. I'm sure they'll do a good job. Yeah, yeah. If I, find, if I get a good person, they'll know what to do. And it's like, no, no, that's not how it works. You actually have to build into people over time. And it needs to be consistent, not just the Jelly of the Month Club or the Book Club of the Month. Let's read this book this quarter and this book another quarter. And this. So we've actually created a leadership you know, process and a language that is around communication and relationships and alignment and execution, capacity, to try to get teams really operating 
So anyway, those are some thoughts for us. Good, good question for those who send. If you have any other questions, uh, just send them in to Justin at GiantWorldwide.com. And uh, we'd love to answer any other questions on the podcast. So that was a good one today. Any other thoughts for you, Steve, before we close off our session today? I think the, uh, the, the tool that we often use is just the last thing is leaders define culture. We've, we've talked a lot about that. But sub-leaders define the subculture. So therefore, if you look at your org chart, you may be a small business with three teams. You may be an SME. You may be a global. The reality is the culture has to go all the way to the bottom if you're really to have integrity and people to actually believe and live what you say. So just that challenge usually for leaders is to go, how do I get the culture which I believe is healthy in my team all the way through the subcultures because it doesn't actually matter what you say on the stage at the annual gathering of the company if the experience of the vast majority of your employees is I don't feel like I'm led by a liberator. So I think it's one thing for you to take the personal challenge that we've talked about. How do I bring this to my home? How do I bring this to my team organization? But you're going to have to actually find a way to multiply that health all the way through your system if you're to actually have a culture which wins. And in the end, the modern world, the, the, the millennials coming in more and more into our workplace are actually more committed to do we live and breathe what we say? Is it a cause I believe in? Are we people of integrity? And what we claim to be is actually my experience. And I think that's going to be one of the things which leaders are going to be forced to engage with this if they actually want to be ahead um, and continue to thrive in what they do in the new world. So that's my little final thought. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think uh, leaders worth following. That's what it's about, to be a leader worth following. It, it, it's really hard. It's easier to be a leader that people have to follow. <laughs> the ramifications are just bad. And so to be a leader worth following means you've got to be intentional. And to be intentional, you have to set the vocabulary. You've got to be consistent. You've got to live it, your passion, That be authentic with what you believe. You have to actually have to believe the vision and mm-hmm. values. And so if, you're, if you don't, well, that's a whole other conversation we might be able to address in the future. But if you do, then go for it. I mean, really pour into your people and, and set this, these uh uh, this intentional vocabulary. And um, we're both people who love a pressure of a deadline. So maybe just uh, for each podcast now, we'll give a little update on progress on the book and progress towards March next year when that book will go live. So the book, tell us a little bit about that. And yeah, uh, so we've got the Liberator book that we're writing. It's really a field guide on liberation and it talking about uh, you, your team, uh, really the culture, and all the things we were talking about we're creating in a field guide. Um, and so it can be really helpful for, for, uh, for those teams who want this type of liberation. And then from there, we're, we're actually launching it with a global broadcast that will come next March where we, people can actually ha- uh, have a host site. So if you, if you want to be a host site, um, and it's basically it's free uh, as long as, as you'll agree to buy some books. And, and so there's some uh, really great things that are coming. So that will be a host site. It's a half-day experience that you can bring to your team or to the public deadline for the manuscript is uh, august 1st so we've got on. we've got to write a book by august 1st so we know how to do it we've done it a few times so we're we're in full book mode so and if any of you've got any stories where you've been maybe you've experienced personal transformation through 
uh, particularly the support challenge matrix. We'd love to hear those. Um, you get a chance to be in the book if it's really good. That's right. You can send those to Jeremy at GiantWorld.com. It's J-E-R-E-M-I-E at GiantWorldwide.com. But uh, it's great. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Wish you well, Liberators. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.